Amen. Please be seated. So we are continuing through our, our, our walk, our journey through the big story of the Bible and trying to show how this is one big story, though there's 66 books and, and many different authors, it's one story of what God has went up to to write what is wrong in the world. And so it's going to feel like we're taking a long time in the beginning, but it's the beginning that sets the stage for what Jesus is going to do later. Um, and so we're going to look at this doctrine of the image of God of what it means to be a human being this morning. And the next couple weeks, Pastor Jim's going to uh, fill the pulpit and get, talk about Romans, and uh, it's just good to have different voices. But uh, and then we'll get back into the big story at, at the end of October. But let's, uh, let's read Genesis 1. I'm going to read verses 26 to 31, and we'll meditate on this together. This is God's Word. This is on the sixth day. It says, then God said, let us make man, or humans, in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant-yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and to every thing that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. And this is God's word. He has spoken to us today in love. Uh, we can trust him. His word is true and trustworthy. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, you tell us uh, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, and that it is a high honor that we can say, who are we that you pay any attention to us? And yet that right here in, in your story, you're, you're showing us that your desire is to dwell with us, to change us, to heal us, to make us more human than we've ever been because Jesus has changed us. And so I pray your spirit would do that to form us into Jesus's image that we would then learn how to love you and love our neighbor. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. So G.K. Chesterton was a, he's a well-known thought, Christian thought leader from like, what is the early 20th century? He had lots of clever ways of, of talking about the gospel, but one of the things I found really interesting, he said, he asked this question, do you know what the hardest thing in the Bible is to believe? It's that all people matter, that you matter, uh, that I matter, 
It's one of the hardest things in theology in the Bible to, to believe, right? That, I mean, you can argue other things for sure, right? Just believing that Jesus is who he says he is is difficult, but you start to think about, do you really believe that other people <laughs> and yourself are created and are created for a purpose and just by virtue of existing uh, requires us to treat them differently, Right? That, that how we treat other people reveals what we believe about God, about this world, and them, and ourselves. So this is, we're going to jump into Genesis and ask this great question, right? What is God's intention for us? What does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be made in the image of God? And it's going to get filled out through the rest of the story, so I'm a little bit overwhelmed trying to figure out what to, <laughs> what to highlight, but uh, there's a lot of really good, helpful stuff um, but what I want to look at this morning is we want to see the honor of being made in God's image. Uh, there's a purpose for us being made in God's image here in this text. And then, of course, we've got to jump to the end of the story to see the hope for us uh, broken image bearers. But let's look at the honor of being made in God's image. Right, as you read chapter 1, what happens is um, Morning and evening, first day, morning and evening, second, third, fourth, fifth. When you get to day six, when you finally get to the creation of human beings, it slows down. Right? You get more detail. Right? It's, it's a, just a narrative way of saying, look at how important human beings are. <laughs> um, when God says, right, it's, you look what gets the most attention, it's not the sun, moon, and stars, or the trees, or, no, it's humans, it's male and female, God creating them. Right? God says, let us make man or, or mankind in our image after our likeness. And it, it really is hard to overstate how important, how life-changing this reality is. Right? See, you walked in this room armed with a particular anthropology that has helped you or hurt you this past week. You know what anthropology is, right? Just your belief about what human beings are and what they're like. Right? Think about all the people you interacted with in the last week at work, maybe driving here on the North Way, right? taking them out a few, right? just being frustrated. Uh, think about your children, the words you used, uh, your parents, kids. Right? What words did you use to describe your siblings? Or how did you talk to your spouse or your classmates at school? Right? What do you see when you look at people? What kind of words did you use? Right, if you, you can jump way ahead to the end of James chapter 3, but James 3 gets in your face and says, what you believe about God is reflected in the words you use with other people. Because with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, but also with the tongue we curse people. What are these people? Well, they are made in the likeness of God. James went all the way back to Genesis 1. And he says, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. These things ought not to be so, because right? fresh water doesn't come from salt water. See, what we think of God is reflected in how we treat other people, and, and how, what we believe about people shows what we think of God. Right? There's a correlation there. So how do you see yourself? How do you see other human beings? I'm sure there's some people here, or you've been in these conversations where people are really optimistic about what human beings are like. Right? That everybody's just basically good. I would encourage them to read history. <laughs> uh, 
But you know, the, the argument is, yeah, there's flaws, nobody's perfect, but if you have the right education, uh, strong will, right, you can become a good person. Right? And one example would be uh, one of the founders of the British welfare system in 1890, right, pre-World War I, before her whole vision got blown up, she says, look, my whole vision of life and why we should help people is staked on the essential goodness of human nature. Humans are good. And there are others who are super pessimistic. Right? We have a low self-view, right? Maybe you agree with Freud or heard Freud talk about this. You probably don't want this kind of counselor, but he says, I found little that is good about human beings on the whole. Right? In my experience, most of them are trash. No matter whether they publicly subscribe to this or that ethical doctrine or not at all, that is something you cannot say aloud or probably not even think. Right? Warm and fuzzies right there. <laughs> But Genesis 1 is saying something, saying a lot of things, <laughs> but saying right at the beginning, you start with this reality that human beings have been made in God's image after God's likeness, and it's true of every human being from the moment of conception to the moment of your death, uh, and really into eternity and everything in between, no matter who you are, whatever tribe, tongue, or nation you are, you are made in God's image. And by virtue of being made in God's image, you have God's attention. Right? So just feel the weight of that. I mean, Genesis 1 starts with good news. Um, Psalm 139, reflecting on this, talking about us as individuals. David writes, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame wasn't hidden from you when I was being made in secret, right? It's being poetic about being in the womb. And then he ends with, How precious are your thoughts, O God. How vast are the sum of them. If I could count them, they are more than the sand. He's saying, I cannot count the number of thoughts God has of me because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Because I'm made in God's image. Because you are fearfully and wonderfully made, right? In God's image, after his likeness, God thinks of you more than you can imagine, <laughs> right? You cannot count the number of God's thoughts of you, and you definitely can't compare our thoughts to the number of his thoughts, right? His number definitely outweighs the number of times we think of him. I know the objection comes up in these where-do-we-come-from stories, ah, human beings, they're not that important. Because when you look at the vast emptiness of the cosmos and you got this one planet and you want to say human beings are special, look at how insignificant you are. You're just one tiny dirt creature on one tiny rock in a speck of a mass meaningless universe. Or maybe you're, you know people would say things like, I see no reason to see humans as more significant than a baboon or a grain of sand. It was one of our Supreme Court justices 100 years ago. Or maybe you come down to your, t let's make this real personal, what language do you use to describe yourself in your own head? You go, I'm not that important. That's why Chesterton would say, welcome to one of the hardest things to believe in the world, that you are made in God's image after his likeness and therefore have God's attention. See, right at the beginning, it's part of the goodness of creation in Genesis 1. 
And we saw last week God specifically was delighting in the children of man. He had a joy in this process of creating human beings to look like him, to represent him. Right? You're, you're seeing the blessing. This God who is overflowing goodness is being good to humans, and they haven't done anything yet. Right? They just exist, and God blesses them. It's unconditional. Right? So those of us who are really pessimistic about human nature or about yourself, who hate yourself, who constantly have that, that inner conversation with your head about what's wrong with you, right? you've got to let Genesis 1 lift you up. You are made in God's image. God sees you. Right? You have God's attention. You have God's care. He's been thinking of you ever before you ever had a thought of him. Right? And there's more honor here, right? We're just getting started. What does it mean, literally, to be made in the image of God, as it says in verse 26? Well, in Egypt, where Israel were slaves, in the original audience who were were reading this text, you know who the only image bearer of their God was? It was only the Pharaoh, only the king, right? Who spoke for God? Pharaoh. Who represented God's authority? Pharaoh. Who was at the top? And the rest of y'all are just peons ready to, to serve God's representative on earth, right? That was, that was the world Israel came out of. And when they hear God say, hey, every human being, whether slave or master, is made in the image of God, right? It just democratized the whole thing. And no civilization has ever lived up to this. <laughs> All right. I mean, you just said that again, that slaves and masters, princes and peasants, every human is, is to be God's image bearer. And, and an image bearer is God's royal representative, his, carrying his authority <laughs> the way you live here on earth. Right? Everybody is a king and queen by virtue of being created in God's kingdom <laughs> in Genesis 1. We'll come back to that and what went wrong later. Right? So you start to think about what's wrong with the world when the, when the Europeans tried to justify race-based slavery. They didn't go to the Bible. Right? They just ignored page one. They ignored page one. No, they went to Aristotle, the ancient Greeks, who would say, you know, women, women and slaves, they don't think as well as us white Greek guys. And so some of them are just Better gear to be subject to someone else. They're just bred to be slaves. Right? So some people up here, others down here. You know, the Bible is saying, declaring loudly, male, female, whatever tribe, tongue, or race you are from, you're created in God's image, and you can't do it alone. Because it's male and female. Now, every human being is God's royal. This is what to be an image bearer is. You are God's royal representative here on earth. It's a high honor to, to rule the earth the way God rules the earth. Right? Male and female, kings and queens, lords and ladies of the earth, if you will. Right? And part of the reason I say this is a royal image, because as it goes on, what, is, what does God tell them to do? To rule, have dominion over the earth, right? to rule over. Just letting you know, I'm not making it up just because it sounds cool. <laughs> See, 
you're starting to get the idea, right? There are no deplorables. There are no untouchables in God's world. There can't be. Let that inform whatever disagreement you are having with anyone in the culture. <laughs> now, God's intention is that every human being is to represent him, to have dominion, to rule like God in whatever corner of the earth he has placed you in. So do you see the implications of this? I mean, they're massive. If everyone is made in the image of God and you represent God in the way you rule, it's, one, it's saying you have to take every human being seriously from the moment of conception to their death. I mean, that's Genesis 9-6. That's where God says to Noah, after the flood, whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed because God made man in his own image. He's saying it's a capital offense to take someone else's life because an attack on the image bearer is like an attack on God himself. Right? I mean, think about this. We can talk more about this thing later and how this works out for Christians, but this is, this is the image I want you to have in your head. If you lived in Iraq when there were statues of Saddam Hussein all over the place, everyone knew that Saddam was the king, right? He was the leader. And you saw it by his image. And if you were to just you know, feel good about yourself one day and go out and just take a baseball bat to the head of that statue, how would the ethical authorities see that attack on the image? Right? It wouldn't be good for you. <laughs> we'll put it that way. Because the authorities would see the assault on the image bearer as an assault on the one whom the image represents. You're assaulting his majesty, his authority. See, to be made in the image of God, and this is the argument from Genesis to Revelation, demands we take everyone seriously, whether they believe like us or not. I would argue that's what our culture needs, or our whole world needs right now. Right? How, what words to use to describe the other, the people that don't agree with you, that don't listen to you, that aren't paying attention to you, when they don't respond to your royal... All right, I'm putting this in quotes if you're just listening online. <laughs> your royal authority, or you've made yourself king of your universe and everyone else is just a servant. That's what sin does. So you got this image. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? It's to represent God in the world, to be a royal ruler. And then it adds to the picture because it says, after his likeness, and to be made in God's likeness, it's sonship language. Because you get to Genesis 5, verse 1. It says, when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. And then Adam lived 130 years, and he had a son in his likeness, after his image, right? So part of what this is saying is there's a father-son relationship between God and human beings. And to, to image God is to, to image God the way a son looks like a father. You could put it that way, Right? My kids look like me whether they want to or not. <laughs> for better or for worse, they imitate me. Right? See, God created human beings to rule, to reign, to represent his power and authority here on earth, but to do so like him, the way a son imitates a father. Do you see that image? This is all packed in right here. To do so in such a way that when someone sees you loving them, using your power to help them when they 
They will see how God loves in you. They will see how God uses power in you, how God forgives when you forgive them. Why? Because you're made in the image of God, created to look like your Father in heaven here on earth. So, you starting to see it yet? I mean, this is, like I said, there's so much packed in here just in a few little verses that get opened up throughout the rest of the story. But as humans, we were made to glorify God in the way that I'm really helped in understanding what in the world that means to glorify God, to say, I'm God's son. I'm supposed to imitate him and look like him. So we're made to glorify God by getting our sense of worth, of being loved by him, of being known, valued, getting our significance, and then reflecting his goodness that we have received in the world. So what is the chief end of man? For all you Westminster Shorter Catechism scholars, (laughs) this is something that was taught me as a kid, right? The chief end of man, the, the main purpose of human beings is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And it's all packed in right here. Enjoy, take, take the enjoyment from last week and connect it to looking like God this week. Right, that's the honor we have. It's royal, reflecting his majesty and goodness. It's, it's sonship language, being taken care for and looking like our father. And of course we've blown it, right? We dominate instead of rule graciously. We choose to glorify ourselves rather than our creator, but for the moment, bask in what the Bible says we ought to be. Because <laughs> there's parts of this that are still true. Right? You're supposed to get done with Genesis 1 and say, God, what are human beings, what am I, that you pay any attention to me? As Psalm 8 says. Right? So this is just virtue of existing language. Now, let's go on to what did God make us for? What does he want us to do? Uh, the purpose of being made in God's image. In verse 28, it says, Well, God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Right? Purpose number one. Be blessed. Right? I mean, just be blessed. What does that mean? Well, theologians go into all all kinds of books, and, and what does it mean to be made in the image of God? At least here, what it says to be blessed by God is to have God speak to you. That's the next thing that happens. Right? All through Genesis 1, God's been talking. But here, God finally speaks to somebody in his world. Right? Before, it's this divine proclamation, let there be, let there be, let there be. And then he makes humans, and then he says, God said to them, here's what I want you to do. It's a face-to-face interaction like we're having, right? It's communication. So part of being blessed is that you can be in fellowship or relationship with God. That's part of this deal. (laughs) You and I have the capacity, the capability to hear God speak to us. That's part of the blessing of being made in the image of God. God turns with his face looks at what he made, smiles on them, blesses them, speaks to them, and then we're going to say he sends them out into the world. You can think about it this way. God rules over the darkness with his word, Genesis 1, that was last week. And then we see he intends to rule over humans with his blessing through face-to-face conversation. 
and that gets worked out through the rest of the story. All right, so purpose one, be blessed, then what? God gives them a, a, a holy boot, if you will, out into the world, <laughs> right? It's, I love you, you're blessed, you're called to reign and rule over this world, now go. Go into the world, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, right? That's the pattern, blessed, go, blessed, go. We'll see that over and over again. But this uh, theologians call the creation mandate, right? Is this is what we are called to do. Right, we're familiar with the Great Commission, Jesus sending his disciples into all the world to make disciples. This is the roots of that, that first command. Right? It's go out into the world as God's image bearers, looking and acting like God, and go fill the earth with the good news of God's rule and reign as you take care of this thing we call earth. Right? So go out into the world. And that's the pattern for the rest of the Bible, that you take God's blessing, and armed with that blessing, you go out into the world to be fruitful and multiply. There's the literal physical, right, have kids, and then there's the spiritual metaphor of, right, bear fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. Go be that kind of human, which is good for the world. But I'm jumping ahead. So let's take it literally. Part of the creation mandate is God created human beings to fill the earth with other human beings, which is really interesting because the more, the farther away our culture gets away from saying the Bible is true, the less kids we have. You notice that? that I think the argument is that white, specifically, right, white secular people just aren't having babies. Maybe one, maybe two, right? It's I mean, I've heard seminary professors joke that say, you want to be faithful to Jesus, just go have lots of kids, right? I mean, this is, right, pre-creation, before the fall makes this whole thing complicated, before barrenness and before, right, all that. But at its simplest, God blesses families and gives you the ability to have more humans (laughs) who, in theory, are going to be gracious and rule like God rules in the world and trust that God will provide. That's what all that... abundance language is about. So, at minimum, I know we have different ages here, but do you see children as a blessing, as a gift from God? That's what this is saying. Right? I mean, I know it's stereotypes about Protestants and babies and whatever. It's just saying, look, kids are a blessing. That's part of, part of the story of the Bible. Right? Now, keep going here. Like I said, there's a lot, but I want to highlight some really important things here. Part of being made in God's image, then he goes on to say, I want you to have dominion over all the creatures, subdue the earth, and we get hints of what this dominion ought to be like. What kind of humans are we to be in the world? What kind of humans are we to reproduce into the world, to be for the world's good? Well, I think even here you can get glimpses that we're to be other-centered humans, to be selfless, to be generous, to be like our Father in heaven. Because in verse 29, you get that odd thing where God says, hey, I've given you all kinds of food to eat, every tree, every plant yielding seed. You're not going to starve. Look at how much I've given you. And then God says the same thing to humans, right? He's still talking to people. 
to every beast of the earth and every bird, right? Everything that has breath of life, I've given them green plants for food. And you go, okay, why would he tell humans that animals need to eat? Right? And Richard Bauckham was a, a British Bible, Bible scholar that was helpful, and he says, look, why does God tell humans that he's given every plant for food for other living creatures? Because humans aren't to fill the earth and subdue it in a way that ignores other creatures that share the earth with them. Right? God has given them, too, the right to live from the soil. So the human right to make use of the earth, to live from it, to, to subdue it, right? to, to have dominion. All that language that makes it sound like we can do whatever we want with the planet. Right? It's my room. I can do what I want. No, it's far from unlimited. You have to respect the existence of other creatures. See, that's why I saw it, call it to have dominion. Right at the beginning, God's saying to humans, look, there is an other-centered way to live. Notice the existence of other creatures that you were called to be caretakers of. Right. So, that's our purpose. Be fruitful, multiply, sent into the world as God's image bearers, ruling and loving like him, being other-centered like God is other-centered. And so here we are, thousands of years later, still made in God's image, still reflecting some, maybe like a broken mirror reflection of God's likeness. What have we filled the earth with? Right? How's the world going? Say, a bunch of selfish, unhappy humans who feel like they deserve to be kings, who demand to be served who don't use their dominion to serve, but to be served. Right? I mean, animals go extinct. You could just start there because we hunted, hunted them to death. We didn't pay attention. That's one example. No, we, we are a people. This is, it's hard to, we're not into what's wrong with the world, but you just start to see, right, there's something wrong with us as soon as you hear what we're supposed to be. We see ourselves as more significant than God or anyone else. We don't know how to have dominion as God has dominion. God's image is broken. We're all like a broken mirror. At times we're kind, but it's like that mirror is missing pieces and our best efforts are cracked to imitate God's rule in the world. And so what is the hope? Right? What is the hope? And, and so you, you've seen, right, we're... We're made in God's image. It's a high honor. We're sent for a purpose. We filled the earth with selfish images of ourselves. And it's causing all kinds of damage. What hope is there to restore the image of God? And so when we say the Bible is one unified story that God plans to right all wrongs through Jesus, that is what God's work of redemption is, is to fix, it's to restore the image of God in human beings, in you and in me. Right? How? Jesus. Because who is Jesus? Well, Colossians 1, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. It's using Genesis as one language to say Jesus looks exactly like God. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. And as a son, he imitates his Father perfectly. Right, or as Hebrews 1 will go on to say, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. 
When you see Jesus, he's like a mirror. He reflects back God's glory, what he's like. And so as you start to look at Jesus, he's like an unbroken mirror. When you see Jesus' compassion and kindness in the Gospels, that's how Jesus sees human beings. That's how God sees you. When you see Jesus' tears, his rage at death in John 11, right, where his, his spirit is emotionally troubled and it, the commentators are so uncomfortable with saying Jesus is, is spitting mad like a bull ready to charge because his friend Lazarus has died. And he's not mad at people, he's mad at what death has done to his creation. And by virtue of being angry at death, he runs at death, raises Lazarus from the dead, and signs his own death sentence. Right? But when you see that reaction to what is wrong with the world in Jesus, what are you seeing? God's, how God sees the world and how God sees you. How God sees grief. Right? When you hear Jesus' anger, you're hearing and seeing what God is grieved by and is against. He is against people who use power and authority for their own good to lift themselves up. Go read Matthew 23. When he just blasts the leadership of the day, when he says, Woe to you, Pharisees and scribes, you are just, you're like whitewashed tombs. You, you look pretty on the outside, but you're dead inside because of the way you treat people. Right. So, what are humans like? What is Jesus coming to do, deal with here, right? Matthew 20, it's such a a great entrance into the gospel. Jesus comes and he's telling the disciples why he came, right? We're going to go to Jerusalem. This is the Son of Man is going to be delivered over the chief priests and scribes, and they're going to use their power to kill me. They're going to condemn him to death, deliver him over to be mocked, flogged, and crucified, and he's going to be raised up on the third day. And the next thing that happens, right? This is the, the raw material Jesus is dealing with here humans. The mother of James and John comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, I really want my sons to be at your right hand and at your left, to be better than all these schmoes, <laughs> right? I want to be up top. I want my sons to be up top because they're at top. I, you know, I'm up with them. So. And Jesus says, it's not, your, it's not my place nor yours to lift people up. Besides, right, are, you gonna, are they going to drink the cup that I'm going to drink, which is to suffer? And then, of course, the other disciples hear of this request to, to be great, to exalt the image of God in just a few, and they just get steaming mad and indignant, and they're bickering, and Jesus sits them all down. He calls them over to himself, and he says, Look, you know that the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority, but it should not be so among you. Right? Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as me, the son of man, this is Jesus, the son of Adam. He's, this is a human language. He came not to be served, but to serve and to lay down his life as a ransom for many. See, what did Jesus come to do? To show us how to use power because we can't do it, but to use it for us first to save us from ourselves and to save us from God's judgment. Because what did Jesus, the perfect human, the perfect image of God, get? He didn't get blessing. He got cursing. That's what happened on the cross. So we could be blessed. Right? We deserve God to subdue our self-centeredness, to turn his face away from us, to have him speak condemnation to us for the ways we've misused power. 
to have him lay out every insult, every harm we've done to our fellow human beings, which is rebellion against God, because they're made in God's image. Sin is immensely personal because of the image of God. But instead, you see, that's what we sang this morning, right? He was forsaken, I'm forgiven. He vol- Jesus volunteered in love for you to lose the face of his father <laughs> so that you could have the blessing of Genesis 1. By grace and grace alone. So what do you do with all this? All right, this is the good news of the gospel. You're blessed again. You get to learn how to be human again. Right? Part of it starts with being forgiven. When you become a Christian, you have this face-to-face reality restored to some extent. One day we'll see it'll be perfect in, in the new heavens and new earth. But the good news is you're accepted by God for Christ's sake, meaning that when God sees us, what does he see reflected in us? He sees Christ's image, the perfect human who loved God and loved his neighbor as himself. He sees you holy and blameless, as if you've never done anything wrong, as if you've kept all the commandments perfectly, even though you know in your heart that I have broken every single one of them in thought, word, and deed, and continue to do so, and will continue to do so in, until I die, until Jesus makes me perfect. Right? You're blessed. And then, right, you're sent. Matthew 28 says, Go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit, teaching them. So right as you've learned how, if you've been saved by grace and you've been loved by God and been restored into God's image through faith in Jesus, go take that blessing out into the world to all the nations. Fill the earth with the good news of what God has done in Jesus. Right? It's, it's re- Jesus is intentionally replaying the creation mandate. The world matters. And then third, right, we're being taught how to be human in a Jesus-like way. I mean, you can apply it in how you use power. Do I see it as just for me and my benefit or for the benefit of others? That's one way to apply this. But I would just say, look, for us as a church, what's going to matter most? Learning to see the image of God in others and learning to love them as Jesus loved me. Right? Learning to see the image of God in other people. <laughs> it's going to bind us together as a community. Because they're significant. I mean, that's our reflection from C.S. Lewis. There are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, art, civilizations, they're all going to fade away. They're mortal. Their life to ours is like the life of a gnat, but it's immortals that we joke with, we marry, we snub, we exploit. We're either going to be immortal horrors or everlasting splendors, depending if, on who you're trying to image, yourself or Jesus. And so here's what he's saying, and I think Genesis 1 is implying in the whole story, is we've got to learn to start taking others seriously by virtue of being human, created in the image of God, because that's what Jesus did. Even those who were steaming mad and against Jesus, he even took them seriously. Right? The ones who were killing him, the ones who were violently offending all these things we just talked about, Jesus, how does Jesus respond to them? Father, forgive them, 
for they know not what they do. Right? Doesn't mean he's for what they're doing, but he's taking them seriously. So, we are in process. <laughs> we've been saved by grace. We've, we've been made in the image of God, and we are right now being renewed into the image of Jesus, and we're learning how now to live with that blessing. Right? As, as Ephesians would say, we're learning, we have to put on the new self, being renewed in the righteousness of God, but also the holiness. We've got to learn how to do what's right according to God and, and how to belong to him because this is a whole new way of being human. And that's what the story is going to work out. But thanks be to God that he loves us as much as he does in Christ. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, there's a lot here, and I pray that it, whatever else we heard, we hear um, your attention is on us. There's nothing you do not know about us, and yet you sent Christ to die in our place to give us the blessing of, of Eden so that we might be a people in the world who see power as, as an opportunity to serve rather than to demand ourselves to be the center of the universe. So Jesus, send your spirit to change our hearts that we would want to be a people like you, even as we see how you loved us first. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.